Hi there, welcome to Shiloh Tabernacle London. We're located in South East London in Woolwich Dockyard, Block 1, Unit 9, Dockyard Industrial Estate, Woolwich Church Street, SC18 5PQ. Join us for our Bible study every Friday from 7.30 to 9pm and you can't miss our Sunday services packed with prayer, vibrant worship and a powerful word. First service is 9am to 10.30 followed by our family service from 10.30 to 12.30. And now for the best part, let's get into the word. I thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. I thank you for your empowerment. I thank you that you're opening the hearts of men and you're opening blind eyes right now. I thank you for the power that you are displaying in situations that have been de- that have been deemed uh, worthless, that have been deemed impossible. I thank you for what you're doing right now. I thank you for the lepers that are being cleansed. I thank you for the lame that are walking. I thank you for the sick that are being made whole and well. I thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Greetings from Ampelos. Greetings from the family of Ampelos. And I just want to, uh, I just want to make someone understand that by virtue of the fact that you're listening to what God is saying now, whether you're listening live, whether you listen later, your life will not remain the same. That is a given. It is impossible for the word of God to come forth and do nothing, just like it is impossible for the rain to come down and the ground does not get wet. It is impossible. I am assured in confidence that your life right now, today, is not remaining the same. Your life is changing forever. You're going to walk with a swagger in the spirit. You're going to be in position to see things. You're going to hear things. You're going to have the energy and the freshness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I just want to start from the book of uh, Matthew chapter number 24. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. We are living in very interesting times. And the times that have been foretold in scriptures are naked before our eyes. Only that God will open our eyes. In the book of Matthew, chapter number 24, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. The Bible declares that Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. They were pointing out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I said to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I'm going to read the second bit again. But he answered them. This is Jesus' response. You see all these, you do not, do you not? Truly I say unto you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, these temples will be destroyed. Jesus was making reference to the physical buildings. You see, the Jews gave very great enconiums of the second temple as repaired by Herod. There was the first temple of Solomon that was built with splendor. The promise that was made unto him when David 
requested and suggested to build the temple, God said, you will not build the temple because your hands are full of the blood of war. But the promise I can give you is that your son Solomon will build me a house. Upon the destruction of that temple, the temple was repaired. And the manner in which the Jews built the temple was in such splendor, in such beauty. It was in such glory. You know, the stones, it exceeded anything that has ever been imagined. You know, it can also be argued that it had been built with stones of spotted green and white marble. So all this splendor and grandness, Jesus said, this shall be thrown down because it is the least of the substance of this thing called the kingdom. So the disciples could not comprehend because their world, seeing that temple, signified the glory of God, signified the power of God, signified, you know, their, their, their difference from all other tribes and nations in how they responded to the glory of God. And they could not imagine that if this is destroyed, what then can be? And Jesus is going deeper and saying, well, people are going to attack all these things. These things are not going to mean anything. And isn't it synonymous with our world today? It is. The externalities, the pomp and ceremony, the whole palaver, you know, looking and sounding the part, you know, these mesmeric appearances being destroyed right before our eyes. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. For the first time in slightly over 70 years, we saw synagogues, churches, chapels closed, not suspended, closed, and for a long time. What we saw as normal church, what we saw as the normal temple, what we saw as the normal way of doing church, you know, dressing up, booting up, suiting up, getting into your spunky, clean car and driving to the church, and then and being ushered into the front seat, you know, being wiped all clean has been disrupted. And therein, therein is a message. All the stones in our understanding, in our application, right from the days of our forefathers, have been obliterated. The new normal majority of us are still awakening to what normal means. And I get it, they're open again. I get it, we congregate again. Cannot be with the same mindset because the building and foundation is changed, is shifted. It is also argued that this was the last time Jesus went into the temple because he was about to be crucified. This destruction of this temple, of these stones, of the marble, of all these things does not happen with Jesus in it. I'm going to say that again. The destruction does not happen with Jesus in it because Jesus is indestructible. So what has been destroyed are the externalities that may not necessarily stand or add that much value as what is required in the kingdom of heaven. I am not saying that congregating in buildings and temples is wrong and won't happen again. Far from it. In any case, deeper than that. 
The question is, how do we congregate? What do we call the temple? What is the Lord doing? I'm going to read you a beautiful scripture in the book of 2 Timothy 2, chapter um, 2, verse 8 to verse number 12. Uh, in that scripture, 2 Timothy, it says something that is very interesting. Mokapramende setaya. 2 Timothy 2 and verses 8 all the way to 12. And this is how it goes. The Bible declares, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And then he says in verse 9, For which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. This is the state of Paul. And he is telling his son Timothy, he's about to depart, he's giving him instruction, says, Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, for which I am in chains. Paul is confined, he's imprisoned. He cannot express himself the way we think he is. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not confined in a temple built with stone. The word of God is not confined in orders made by man. It is not bound. Paul was so assured. The key focus is on verse 9. The word of God is not bound. It says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, he says, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with the eternal glory. And the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The church of Jesus Christ in this day is going to stand on the pillars of those that are ready for the persecution that is the underlying current you're going to be bound in chains not the chains of paul but they're different kind of chains they are different kinds of barriers but that is only going to advance the gospel where your mouth where your ability where your natural comprehension could not the question is are you ready are you ready to be taken to Malta when you desire to go to Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel? Paul was beaten, accused, excommunicated from cities. He endured it all, but he did not stop the word of God from spreading the way the Holy Spirit desired it to be. Now I want us to examine Paul's non-conventional preaching outside the temple. Because the conventional preaching is what we were used to. It's what the Jews were used to. If you recall in the book of Luke chapter number 4, Jesus announces his ministry in the temple when he quotes Isaiah 61. He picks up the scroll and reads. And then he says to them, this is my mission. To set the captives free. To open the blind eyes. You know, to heal the brokenhearted. To declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. It's in the temple, puts the scroll down, and then he says to them, This is now being fulfilled today. Again, we see Jesus going to the temple. He finds them exchanging goods 
and being merchants and trading and selling stuff. And he whips them and says, this shall be a house of prayer. So is he the same man saying this temple is now being destroyed? Is he being controversial? No, he's elevating a temple to an eternal realm. The realm that can only be the one that survives these times. Because there were times when the temple, the building, the, the brass, the stone, the gold and silver could suffice. Not anymore. Because we're dealing with something completely different. In Paul's time, Paul was given a, hell, a whole lot of trouble. But we see the gospel advancing the most obscure ways. Faster than Paul had he not been given any amount of trouble. Faster than he would ever have uh, preached the gospel. He would never have gone to all those places except the persecution. It doesn't matter how nicely adorned the stove might appear. But as long as there is no fire, you can never get a meal off it. It doesn't matter if the stove is 10 feet tall, 5 feet wide. It doesn't matter if it's got stones of marble. It does not matter. What matters is the fire that readies what needs to be served. And that's what the church should be ready for. Not the stones, not the stove, but the fire. Go with me, please, to Acts chapter number 21. I want to introduce something here. Acts chapter number 21. And we're going to read verses number 26. Acts 21, verses number 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple. Someone say that again. And went into the temple. Giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Verses number 27. When the seven days were almost complete, completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought the Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus and Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought them in. Then all the city was stirred up. Someone said, all the city, all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul, grabbed, dragged him out of the temple. And once the gates were shut, and at once the gates were shut, allow me to preach because this is a very pregnant portion of scripture in context of what we are talking about here. Paul was everywhere preaching the gospel without any fear because he had the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of him. But in verses number 26, 27, the Bible declares when the seven days were almost completed. Now, this seven days is an eternal timeline. 
in this portion of scripture, it is a narrative of one to seven days. But in the eyes of the spirit, the seven days are an eternal narrative because the time has come when the seven days are up. The seven days fulfill both the Kronos and Kairos timelines. It is divinely orchestrated by God. It is a time in both. Seven days means the spiritual time where God has decided that the gospel ought to be preached differently. Why do they tell us that they waited? And almost when the seven days were over, the Jews seized Paul and dragged him out. And what happens? This man has been preaching in the temple, but it is the city that is in uproar. Of course, they dragged him out thinking was disorganizing the status quo. They were doing the right thing. They were defending the law. This man is coming with a gospel that is so ultra-vious, the law of Moses, not even realizing that the law of Moses is a hidden, a hidden shadow of the revelation of Christ that Paul is bringing unto them. Had they known, they shouldn't have done this. Now let's just examine this thing. They dragged him out and the city was in uproar. Now think for a second, the size of the city, the number of people in a city. In London alone is a city of 8.9 million people, human beings. Certainly they cannot fit in any temple. However beautiful it might appear, they cannot. It is too small. City of New York, 8.4 million people. They cannot fit in the city of New York. Lagos, 14.8 million people. It requires a very strategic government program to build temples across all those cities for all those men to go in there. Mm. So the time had come for God to propel the message of Paul, but it is coming the undercurrent of persecution. Paul was thinking, well, I'm doing what the Lord called me to do, but these guys are dragging me out. They are beating me up. God is gathering a bigger crowd. None of these cities, none of these cities can fit in a temple. For them to fit, you've got to build a lot of stuff. So the men dragged Paul out and missed out on a certain wisdom. That's why the Bible is very clear. It said that none of the rulers of this age knew because if they had known, they would not have crucified our Lord. The same thing that happened to Jesus. They crucified Jesus not knowing that they are only propagating the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit. There are certain wisdoms that are hidden to the heathen. And there are certain wisdoms God is revealing to his sons. I like the worship of the young lady mercy. We've got to be strong because our God is mightier. Thank God you've been dragged out of that temple. It is too small for the cities inside of you. Hey, thank God you're scratching your head. What do we do? Oh, Kasha, because the city is in uproar. It cannot fit in the temple, in your humanistic temple. In this kind of setting, there are no passengers. For God has equipped all, men and women, 
and I'm going to share an example in the book of John chapter number four. I'm going to share with you a scenario where Jesus left the temple and went to the city. That city could be one man. That city could be your family. That city could be one woman. That city could be your workmate. That city could be the passenger in the back of your car. That city could be anything. We just have to have our eyes open. Because the temple is destroyed. Let's face it. But the temple is not obliterated. Because the Bible declares in the book of Acts chapter number 7. That we are now dealing with temples that are not built with human hands. This is the same message that Stephen was giving the Israelites just before they stoned him. And he says, you don't get it. Woe unto you who kill the prophets. But you cannot kill the gospel. In John chapter number 4, Jesus makes a half-day journey and goes to Samaria. Your city is likely to be in the places that no one wants to go but have been designated for you. Jesus goes to Samaria, a forgotten and lost state of Israel. Samaria had been cut off, ostracized, was not anybody, that, anything that tickled anybody's fancy. No Pharisees wanted to go there. And that's the city that at that moment in time, the spirit of the Lord led Jesus to. And we read from verses number 25. When he's having this conversation with this woman who was at the well, a Samaritan woman who had had a very interesting past. Quite frankly, that past was still present until she met Jesus. And Jesus is telling the woman about the nature of the worship, which is in truth and in spirit. I was sharing around this area on Friday in Ampelos. But then verse 26, the Bible declares, Start from verse 25 of John chapter number 4. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Hey, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked to the woman. Yet no one said, why do you speak? Not, not, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you speaking with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went away into that city uh, and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse number 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. Every man in the city came to Jesus because of one woman. That woman may not even have had the worthiness, according to the description of men, to appear in the temple. They are too filthy. They are too worldly. They are too much in the world. They have caused pain. They have caused havoc. They won't enter into those doors. So Jesus, by the Spirit of God, is led unto this city. Through one woman. And that's the dynamic of the mission at the moment. Glory to God. So we return 
to the book of Acts chapter number 21, where we see Paul being arrested and is being dragged out of the city. When we read verses number 35, God has prepared a platform that is bigger than the temple from which he had been evicted after seven days. There is a bigger platform and God is bringing it to forth right now. Never mind the fact that Paul is being dragged to be arrested, to be beaten and potentially killed. So we need to embrace these realities before we can even think of imagining that God is going to use us. And he came to the steps. I'm going to read from verses number 34. The Bible declares, someone in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought unto the barracks. Your barracks might be different. It might not be physical. But it is a step. It is a step up. God is elevating your voice. God is elevating your ministry. God is elevating your influence. You just have to trust him, not the process. Trust him. And this is Acts 21, verses number 35. And he came to the steps. He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. And verses number 37. As Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? Oh my God. This is the wisdom that the men that crucified Jesus did not have. And he said, do you seek, do you, do you know Greek? This is what he said. Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. You're going to ask for permission to speak to the people by virtue of the, Christ, of the fact that you are a citizen in the kingdom of Christ. In any case, that permission will be sought in the prayer room, in the closet, in the morning. So as you go out in your day to day, the doors will open, the doors of utterance, and you're going to speak. It may not be an address. It might be a conversation. Someone might open up to you concerning a situation that has disturbed them. And you're going to speak words of life. And those words of life might open an entire city to Christ Jesus. That's the name of the game. He says to them, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand. And when there was a, um, there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew language, saying, he began to preach to the whole mob of people that could not have been, could not have fitted in the temple doors. In Acts chapter number 26, Paul speaks to Agrippa, one of the generals. We go back to Acts chapter number two. A vital church has grown after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see the entire community transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
but it still has a gather in the temple mindset. That continues in chapter 3. And the Bible declares that as it was the custom of the apostles to go up in the hour of prayer, which is beautiful, fantastic. There was a man who was at the gate of beautiful. That man was healed. And then he goes out. When he goes out, the officials are like, what's going on? This is happening today. In verses number, from the whole of chapter 3, we see that there's a lot of hoo-ha about the man who had been lame, but now has been made whole. The beggar is no longer a beggar. There's a lot of hoo-ha. And in chapter 4, the, 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 the stakes are raised. This cannot continue, they say. So the name of the Lord is forbidden in Acts chapter number 4, verses number 13. Brothers and sisters, I've got news for you. The name of the Lord is forbidden in many places. The name of the Lord is forbidden in many places. In hospitals, nurses that belong to Christ are told, you do not mention the name of the Lord. It has been wrapped up in all manner of legislation and human rights. Well, I'm sorry. It's been insidiously crafted, craftily hidden. But the freedom of the expression of the name of the Lord is upon us. And we have to go back to scripture to understand the dimension for which we need to operate. In Acts chapter 4, when they had been threatened, the Bible declares they asked the Holy Spirit to give them boldness. The boldness could not be contained in the temple. That boldness propelled them to places, different cities. They began preaching the gospel without fear. Boldness is the only avenue that get crushes the strong walls of persecution. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. So what should the church do now? As I conclude, in the book of Luke, chapter number 21, verses 36, I want to introduce something that is going to help a believer. Luke 21, verses 36. Your persecution is your platform. Mm. That persecution might be financial. That persecution might be betrayal. That persecution might be a number of things. The dynamics are not the same because the stones of the temple have been dismantled. You're a man of God, a priest of God, a minister of God. You're a worshiper. You think it's not the same as it was before. It is an opportunity because there's a woman at the well waiting for you to make the journey. My God. And the grace is sufficient. So what shall we do? Verse 36 of Luke 21. It says, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Let's read from the KJV. Verse number 36. He says, but watch ye therefore and pray always. I loved it when I heard Pastor Ruben announcing the programs 
that the ministries put forth daily morning prayer, morning glory from 5 to 7 a.m. My God, a church that prays is a church that stands. 5 to 7 a.m. every day. People might be wondering, but doesn't God answer your prayers? No, this is not what we're talking about. This is watching. These are watchmen. So you may be able to escape all these things that shall come to pass. These things are here today. Let's not bury our heads in the sand like ostriches. They are here today. I mean, I need a whole day to start explaining chapter and verse of what we see today as part of what has been spoken of in scripture, including people spending time in their, on their phones and devices. All has been spoken of in scripture. Watch and pray. Most times I've shared in the watch and pray, and the question might be, for many people, how do we watch? What is watching? The Greek word is agrupneo, not to be asleep, to be awake, especially in the spirit. Be careful, sober, and vigilant, keeping watch, being alert. That's why it is important to be born again, because you cannot be alert when you're not born again. Why? Because the watching here is from a position of a regenerated spirit. A reborn spirit is the one that has got the capacity to see. There are many seers. There are many people who can come and tell you what will happen to you tomorrow. And they'll be accurate. Just like there are many facts. It is a fact. Today is the first or third of October. It's a fact. There are so many facts out there. But there's only one truth. And that is Jesus Christ. So there are many seers, but there is only one sight. The Bible declares that he is the light of this world in John chapter number 9. Seers see, but in Christ Jesus we have our eyes opened. Ah, la masse, I'll say that again. Seers see. That's why you've got so many false prophets, so many crowds thronging, telling people, all sorts of lies. But in Jesus Christ, we have our eyes open. It says, watch therefore and pray. You cannot watch with your eyes closed. In Matthew 16, 13, I think Matthew chapter number 16, we see Peter receiving the revelation of who Christ is. And the Bible declares, it says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you except the Spirit of God. I want to touch a scripture here that really is going to bring out what we ought to see in what context and what is going on around us. Journey with me as I conclude in the book of 2 Kings 6, 17 to 20. 2 Kings 6, 17 to 20. Very interesting scripture. I love it. And I'll start from verses number 15. I'm going to read from the KJV. And it says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early 
and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now there are two things that we see. We can choose to see the things that physically cripple us, the things that physically affect us, intimidate us, or we can choose to see the things in the spirit that God is doing on our behalf. Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi has seen the armies of the Syrian king have actually encompassed the city. They have entombed the city. The city is besieged. And anybody who has got their fillers on the ground, who's got friends sending their messages, they are likely to become afraid. So he gets the man of God and says, listen, the guys are around us. We're only two of us. We're finished. And that might be the storyline. That might be the thought process of so many people in the faith today, seeing the stuff around them, seeing all these regulations, seeing all these things that are curtailing the expression of their faith. And they are saying to themselves, what shall we do? They are looking around and seeing the host of chariot, chariots and horsemen around the city. The city could be your job. The city could be your business. The city could be your relationships. The city could be the things that you would have liked to do normally. And, and, and the chariots are around them. Things are stuck. And this is what Elisha answered. He said, fear not. For they that be with us more than they that be with them. We're talking about having eyes to see, to watch. Because when you can watch, then you pray right. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he might see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the man mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Now I want to prophesy because there's a lot that has been spoken. There's a lot that is going on. And earlier on, when I was having the discourse with the man of God, Pastor Robert Ruben, I mentioned that when God exposes a lot that has been hidden, he is giving an opportunity for believers to see what is on the other side. Do you know that we are surrounded by angels? We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Do we know even right now there is the angelic? around everybody who is listening to the word of God. Do you know that? Only if you see, it is my prayer, like Elisha prayed for Gehazi, oh Lord, open his eyes to see. And immediately, Gehazi began to see what was on the other side, the chariots of fire, the armies of our God. The Bible declares that he who guards Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. It is that understanding that emboldens you to begin doing stuff outside the temple doors. That's when you begin to charge in advance knowing you've got company. Isn't it interesting? In the book of Luke, chapter number 24, the Bible declares that two men were on the road from Emmaus. They could not see the risen Lord. And he was right there with them until he sat down with them and they were at meat. And then he began dissecting the things that were written of him in scripture. 
Then their eyes were open and they could see. Prayer is going to open our eyes to see. Our levels of praying in the spirit. But you realize the scripture I've just mentioned that it is the word. The word revealed itself to the men that were coming from Emmaus and their eyes were opened. The Bible declares that this word is the lamp upon our feet. It is what is going to open our eyes. It is only the word in the book of Daniel when he was reading the word. He set himself to pray because he had realized that the time of the end of their captivity is at hand. That is why it is important to recognize that the power lies in the temple that has not built with, been built with human hands. It cannot be touched. In verse 18, when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed and said, The Lord, please strike these people with blindness. Do you realize it is until Gehazi could see that Elisha prayed for the solution? It is impossible for us to have solutions if our eyes cannot see. Folks, I want you to realize that in this time that might appear a time of great turmoil, depending on what circumstances you might be going through, God, who is desperate, not desperate, desires for you to see what is going on on the other side. My God. I was listening to a book. I even forget the title. Thank God I've forgotten the title. But what the stuff I was listening to blew me away. There is this lady, this young lady who had uh, been uh, sown into Satanism. It was so deep into Satanism and she had been earmarked to be uh, one of the high priests in the altars of Satan. This is stuff that goes on. And um, but, but the grace of God uh, began plucking her out. And she was narrating that in some of the missions Satan would send them to, they would target, you know, believers who were fervently praying and converting ex-Satanists to Jesus Christ. Oh, shall let me pray right now. Let me prophesy right now in the name of Jesus. There are ex-Satanists, the people that are coming from that very pits of darkness, that are coming into the kingdom of light in this marvelous light by virtue of this word in the name of Jesus. I pray thee in the name of Jesus that they get dreams, visions, revelations, that they encounter men of God, that circumstances bring them to the very saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ right now in the name of Jesus. I'll carry on with my story. That stuff needed to happen. Somebody, a young girl, is being set free in the name of Jesus. Between the ages of 12 and 18, I've seen her right now. She's curling her head in despair, waiting for the ray of hope. God is delivering you in the name of Jesus. So this young girl was narrating the story, and she said that they would be sent. They, you know, they, they could um, levitate get out of their bodies and enter bodies of uh, creatures. You know, you know, you know, in the Bible declares that a spirit soul body, you know, that you might prosper that and your soul prospers, you know, the distinctiveness of the soul prospering, you know, and there's also a portion of scripture that said that their soul be saved. You know, there's the human spirit, there's the soul and the body. So these guys could dissect these dimensions. So she was narrating that they were sent to um, this believer, and, and the family, and that they were sent to go and kill them. 
The Bible declares that when they got to the house in the spirit, there were these very tough angels. They just grinned at them. The, the angels were guarding the house. So as these guys began advancing, they pulled out all their tricks. Doesn't that remind you of the tricks of the uh, sorcerers of uh, Pharaoh um, when Moses and Aaron had come to them? They also pulled out their tricks. They also made snakes. It couldn't work. And said so these angels were so powerful. And, and they just, they did everything effortlessly. And this girl mentioned that uh, they fought and fought. And, and his contemporaries, her contemporaries were fighting to go and enter the house and attack these believers. These believers were oblivious of what was going on. But the angels guarding, guarding them in the spirit was, were doing their job. And this girl narrated that the, one of the angels looked at her because she had something special about her. The angels looked at her and said, listen, there is a God. What Satan is telling you. He is lying to you. He doesn't care about you. He does not love you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. There is a God who died for your sins and is, is, it is purpose to set you free. You know, if you could accept him as your Lord and Savior. And the words pierced this girl who was still drenched under the power of Satan. To cut the long story short, they aborted mission because there's no way they could go through. Such is the power of the God who guards us day and night, of the armies that are on our side, only if we see and know how to summon them. So Elisha prayed for Gehazi's eyes to be opened. It's a prayer we're going to pray as I close. And also then after Gehazi's eyes were opened, he prayed that the armies of the Syrians be struck with blindness. We're reading about this portion of scripture today because something needs to happen to your eyesight. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit becomes the alpha matter of your life. Because when the disciples left the temple, the Holy Spirit began taking them. Do you realize that Philip, the Bible declares the Spirit of the Lord just moved Philip from the Ethiopian eunuch to the next assignment. It was too slow the Holy Spirit had to do a quickening and he's doing a quick work. The days are short. I'm going to pray as I conclude. Heavenly Father, I just want to bless you for encouraging that man of God, that woman of God, encouraging that minister that it doesn't matter if there are only five people that gather with them. Halamasa. Because those five people might be the cities that the God has been waiting to redeem in the name of Jesus. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you open the eyes of our understanding. Oh, Kapra Masa, as you pray in the book of Ephesians, chapter number one, Meke Setoromisa, verse number 17, onwards, Ekesha Kapra Basetaya, that the eyes of our understanding are flooded with light, Akasho Kopra Kesetelemandelebekosetaya, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that you open the eyes of our understanding, that we know what is the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I pray in the name of Jesus that we can be able to withstand the persecution that comes with the assignment outside the gates of the temple. That we give, give us the boldness to be able to stand on thorns and proclaim this gospel in our communities, in our churches, in our workplaces, in the name of Jesus.
to recognize that the dimension is different and that your grace is sufficient and that there are greater cities waiting to hear the gospel than there are confined in the walls of your space in the name of Jesus. That you give us the intuition to know where to go, who to speak to, and for what purpose and motive. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Turn us into laborers, King of glory. In the name of Jesus, even right now as we pray in King of Kings, flood the hearts of men and women with the power of your love and your glory in the name of Jesus. I pray that somebody gets to know the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon, and I know you've been blessed. For more information about Shiloh Tabernacle and other sermons, please visit our website, www.shiloh.org.uk. And don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Shiloh LDN. Once again, that's at Shiloh LDN. You've been listening to Shiloh Tabernacle London, changing lives, building dreams. Until next time, 